All right, go ahead, if you will, in your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. Our passage today is found in John 15, verses 16 through 21. Some Bibles turning still. John 15, 16 through 21. Let me go ahead and read our passage for today. It says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. That is the word of the Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray before we get into our sermon for today. Heavenly Father, we come to you again. And we're just so thankful for this time that you've given. We pray that it's your word that goes out like the rain and bring forth fruit as it falls on good soil. God, I am but a vessel desiring to be faithful to your word. And so I pray, Lord, that through this time, through this week, that there's been preparation and meditation and prayer, that you honor this and uh, you speak to your people and that your people are um, blessed by your words, by your truth that rings true through this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So we are continuing our walk through John 15 and the topic of abiding in Christ. That's still where we find ourselves today. And for our sermon today, our title is Abiding in Christ, Christ-likeness, right? The bringing about Christ-likeness through abiding in him. We're going to break up our passage a little differently today um, than what we normally do where we go verse by verse from beginning to end. Uh, first, we're going to kind of start in the middle. We're going to start in verses 18 and 19, and we're going to talk about how abiding in Christ leads to enmity with the world. We're going to talk about what that word means. Secondly, we're going to look at verses 20 through 21 and talk about how abiding in Christ leads to Christ-likeness. And then finally, we're going to circle back around to verses 16 and 17 and talk about how abiding in Christ is only possible through prayer and love. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and look at verses 18 and 19 and see how abiding in Christ uh, leads to enmity with the world. I want to reread those verses just to refresh us, even though we just read them a minute ago. It says this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, this word hate that's used here between verses 18 and 25 is used eight times. There was a bunch of them here in just these two verses, but there's a lot of hate being spoken of right in these in these verses. And so I want to talk about what hatred is and kind of define, since we're going to talk about enmity with the world, what that word means, enmity and hatred. What is that? 
uh, well, enmity, this, it, the word finds its root in the same Latin word um, it, from the English word that we derive it, or from the same word that it, we, we get the word enemy, right? It kind of has that same meaning. It means hostility, uh, an active hatred towards someone, this uh, strife within the mind that you're feeling towards something or someone. The word hatred that's used here carries a similar meaning. It means to be uh, detested by something, disgusted by it, or it even has the meaning of of uh, apathy, like a forsaking and neglecting, like you want nothing to do with it. But enmity with the world, I want to talk about world as well. What, is, what does it mean when this verse uses the, the term world? Well, world carries a, a handful of meanings. It, just like words in English carry multiple meanings, this word world has a bunch of meanings as well. And so this Greek word here is the word cosmos. And that word, that word in the Greek may sound kind of familiar to some of you, depending on your background. But let me give you three examples of how this word cosmos is used. So in English, uh, we have the words cosmology, right? This is the study of the universe, right? You have this everything in the universe, right? Studying that outer space and, and all of that. We have the word cosmopolitan, right? Which kind of speaks of a bunch of people in this centralized area throughout the world, right? It kind of has that meaning, people of the world. And then you have cosmetics, right? Some of the ladies know what this is. And so cosmetics, cosmetology, that is putting in an orderly fashion, right? Face, nails, hair, that kind of stuff. Uh, so it kind of carries these three different meanings, everything in, the, in creation, uh, people of the world, and then order, right? It kind of has these three, so the, and, and others, it has other meanings. So what specifically is this verse talking about here? Well, it kind of carries the meaning of a blending of some of these, where it's the ways of the world, the order of the world, uh, the, the world's philosophies, the way that people in the world think. Uh, the order in which the world works. And so that's kind of the idea. When we think about Ephesians 6, when it talks about we're not at, we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the spiritual forces and the heavenly places, right? Those things are within the minds of people, right? But that's, that's the order or the view in which they, they view the world. And so that's, that's more so what we're talking about here. So when the verse says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is, this is kind of the idea of what it's talking about. So as I was doing my study, some of the things that I thought about is, we, this is almost a rhetorical question, but I want to dig into it a little bit more. Why would the world hate Christ? Right? Why, why would they hate an innocent man, right? a loving man, an honest man, a man who was pure in all his actions? Why would the world hate somebody like that if, if the world is all about inclusion and acceptance and loving people and, and doing all of that? Why would a pure man be hated so much? I believe Jesus speaks of it this way. He answers this question for us in John three nineteen and 20. He says this, and this is judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus, the most loving, pure being that has ever walked the face of this earth, was killed for being who he was or who he is. All right, think about that. Pure, innocent, and he died for that. Uh, Dr. D. Martin Lloyd Jones puts it this way He says, if if you ever want to know how the world feels about Jesus, just look at what the world did to him. Right. And we can include ourselves in that. It's sinners who put Jesus on the cross. Right. Colossians one tells us it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. The Holy One of Israel, the incarnate word, the spotless lamb of God. Right. There was no fault in him yet. 
he still died. Now, when we come in the name of the Lord, when we come in his name, when we bear his name and seek to make him known, should we expect anything less? Right. This is what Jesus is telling us in this time. They will persecute you because they persecuted me. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Right. I mean, if you were of the world, they'd love you like their own. But you're not right. If you're coming in my name, you're not of this world. So that should encourage us as a church, right? Church, that should encourage us. We know what we are to expect when we go out into the world. That we should know. It's, it's telling us right here, right? When we expect, oh, you know, I'm going to be loved and praised or whatever. I'm, I'm going to get out of this unscathed. That's, that's really not a healthy expectation if we're considering what Jesus' own words said. We should expect animosity. We should expect persecution, uh, shame. Uh, ridicule, all these things should be expected when we are sharing our faith, right? When we are evangelizing, when we explain or defend the beliefs that we have, these should be, these should be at the forefront of our minds. Hey, this could potentially happen. Not that it always has to, but it, it's the potential for it to be there. It's not something we should fear. Uh, we should expect it. And if we are at enmity with the world, as, as we are told, because of our faith in Christ, we are only receiving this hate because the world recognizes us by our fruit, right? I mean, the world recognizes Christ in us. That's the only reason that they would hate us. They, they see Christ within us. They see us bearing fruit. There is no reason for us to try to manufacture persecution for ourselves, to, to have a martyred, martyr mentality when we go to evangelize and seek to save the lost. We don't have to manufacture that. God's word is offensive enough on its own. Amen. Right. When we are preaching Christ and him crucified, trouble will find us. Right. It'll it'll find we don't have to go looking for it. It'll find us when light is shined in dark places. Darkness scatters. They hate that light that comes in there. But as Jesus said in verse 19, but because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Now, I want to focus on those three words. I chose you. Right. God chose you. God chose you. God chose you. Right. I can emphasize any of those three words, but they're saying the same thing. I think we need to think about that and kind of meditate upon that. God chose you. You didn't choose him. Right. Everything that we do in life is a choice. Everything. Right. Uh, what, what are we eating for lunch? Well, I want to have this. I want to have that. What what time am I going to bed? Well, if I need to get up at this time, I should go to bed at this time. I want to wear these clothes because they fit well or whatever. Right. We, we all make choices that are appealing to us. The things that we want, we make choices based on the things that we like. That, that's what we do. Whatever is the least uncomfortable thing to do. That's what that's what we always choose. We make our own choices. Right. We don't we don't pick things that are undesirable, unappealing, things that are disgusting for us. We don't make those choices. But when we think about what Christ has done for us, God chose us before the foundations of the world is what Ephesians one tells us. And he demonstrated his great love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The detestable, the wicked, the vile, the weak, the unappealing. Right. That's who he died for. He didn't die because we were bright, shining stars and he just had to have us. Right. We didn't bring anything to the table that he needed. Right. He's already God. But he chose us anyways. Right. That's not something we deserved. It was something that was granted to us purely by God's grace. 
right? If you are his, it's because he chose you. That is something to rejoice about because none of us have anything to offer him. We were the ones that were poor, naked, and blind, as scripture describes, but it was his sacrifice that cleanses us. It was, it's his righteousness that we're clothed with. When, Jesus, when God the Father sees us, he sees his son, spotless and blameless. That's how he sees us as his people. And it's his Holy Spirit that empowers us to do all the things that we're commanded to do in this life. So therefore, God gets all the glory. Amen. He saved us. He sanctifies us. He's calling us home to glorify us. I mean, he's doing all these things. And it's all it's all because of his grace. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I love because he first loved me. I choose him because he first chose me. Now, this concept of, of love that we see in here is, is rooted in God's character. That's who God is. And, and we are hated. We'll, we will be hated for showing our faith and living a godly life, living a life that is opposed to the ways of this world. Uh, we do this by abiding in Christ. As we do this, we grow in our likeness of Christ as well. So let's look at that in verses 20 and 21. Let me reread those verses. It says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Now, what Jesus is quoting here when he tells them, remember the word that I said to you. This goes back to John chapter 13, verse 16, uh, when he's talking about the washing of the disciples feet in the at the Last Supper. Right. He's telling them at that, in that point, look, if your master will serve you in this way, y'all have no excuse not to serve in this same fashion. Uh, but he, he continues this same truth that's presented to them and gives two more applications. And the first one he gives is if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Right. So what it's telling us here, hey, if you are abiding in Christ, you're going to grow in Christ likeness. As you grow in Christ likeness, the world will not only hate you, but they will begin to persecute you as well. Now, when I was thinking about this portion in light of what we've already said, I thought about the song. I was kind of trying to relate it like, was this, is this a, like a nursery rhyme or a Christian song? But the, this little light is of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Right. I don't I don't know the rest of the lyrics. I don't know if it's a Christian song or not. But that's the illustration I want to use. Right. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. Uh, but, you know, when do you shine a light? When do you turn on lights when it's dark? Right. That, that's when you need a light. I need a light to see so I don't stub my toe or whatever. But when that light shines, Right. It, it shines in, in darkness. But what we know from what Jesus said in John three is that people love their darkness rather than light. So the brighter that light shines, the more sin that is exposed, the more sin that is exposed, the more people have to work to try to suppress that sin, to be OK in their conscience with the things that they're doing. Therefore, they're going to hate you more for exposing their sin. Now, if we go back to that word cosmos, the world, the ways of this world, the way that the world thinks through things, their worldview, the world will tell us things like, well, you just got to live and let live. Right. Uh, Only God can judge me or, you know, you do you and I'm going to do me. Right. Those are I don't know. Maybe you're in different circles than I'm in. But like I hear that. Right. Just you do you. You do you. boo boo. I'm going to do me. Right. Just that's that's the way that that people speak. But the thing is, what they're really saying in those moments is don't don't look at my sin and I'm not going to look at yours. Ultimately, that's what they're saying. Right. I'm going to let you sin in the way that you feel comfortable. Just just don't look in here. Don't check the skeletons in my closet. 
Now, when we think about that, when that's what's actually being said in those moments, there is not a more hateful thing that you can do towards someone to then allow them to wallow in their own sin and not point it out and give them ways out of it. Right. That's hateful. That there's nothing loving about that. But it gets better. Right. In this other part of this verse, it says, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, this part of the verse is debated. As I was doing my study, there's there's kind of two interpretations that people take. They think that he's speaking rhetorically like they didn't listen to me, so they're not going to listen to you. Right. Some some people believe that I, I tend to think he's he's given us a the persecuted side and then, hey, be encouraged with this as well. Mainly because we understand the context in which these verses find themselves from chapter 14 through chapter 17. This is known as Jesus's farewell discourse. This is his last, not I want to call it a hurrah, but his last moments with his people. So he's trying to impart the finality. Look, this, the sheep, the shepherd is going to get struck down and the sheep are going to scatter. Y'all need to know these things before I'm gone. Right. So that's what's being portrayed from chapter 14 to 16. So it's not all bad news. He's given them. Chapter 14 is a wonderful chapter about the Holy Spirit and, and how he's going to come and be the comforter and all that for excuse me, for us. Uh, and I believe along those same lines, we see some some encouragement in this verse as well, because if we think about it, did everyone hate Christ? No, not everybody hated Christ. Right. He had his 12 disciples. He had the other disciples there with him, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, Nicodemus. Uh, there was all the countless people that he healed that worshiped him and followed him. So it wasn't like he was completely hated by every single person. It's the, the those who had the the, the, the philosophies, the mindsets of the world, that's who hates him. All those of the world like that hated him. But he had those who he loved and those who loved him within the world. So when we consider that and we consider the way that he's wording these statements, if they persecuted me, then they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. We understand that these are conditional statements that he's making, right? He's not saying, hey, I'm, I'm being persecuted, therefore... All, all that's going to happen is persecution for you. All that's going to happen is hatred. No, we wouldn't have the word today if no one listened to him. Right. If, if no one's heart was ever changed, we wouldn't have the word today. So it's like, hey, be aware of this. There's going to be persecution. But then there's also going to be fruit from your ministry that's going to come as well. Right. If if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But if they kept my word, they're going to keep your word as well. In John 10, 16, uh, Jesus says it this way. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, right? Those other sheep that need to be gathered. He's speaking of the Gentiles in those verses. Well, who's going to be the one out gathering the Gentiles? The apostles. The apostles were the ones that were commissioned to take the, the gospel message to all peoples, right? They were the ones upon, they were the foundation. The, the prophets and the apostles were the foundation upon which the church is built with Christ being the cornerstone. That's what scripture tells us. So they are going forth and, and they're being encouraged. Look, there's there's going to be persecution, but then there's going to be those who hear your word, who, who hear my words through you and they're going to follow you. Some will hate it. Some will love it. Some may not even care, but expect to get all those different responses. So when I think about that, I think about the challenge that's given to the disciples. I think about us today and the climate we live in now. The challenge slash rebuke that I seek to offer you today and myself, uh, because first I'm preaching to myself here. This is this is first here and then it's coming out this way, 
is the fact that authority was given to us to preach the gospel, right? We've been given that authority to go out and preach the gospel to all nations, but we were not given the authority to decide who we preach to. It's kind of quiet. You can't say amen. You got to say ouch, right? Right? We have to take this message to people that we don't think deserves it because none of us deserve it, right? We don't get to choose who gets to hear God's message. Every single person needs to hear this good news. If the opportunity presents itself, I am to be faithful to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and share the hope that is found within me with the lost. I, I, am, I am commanded to do that. I am compelled to do that. Right now, I may say, well, the opportunity hasn't presented itself because, you know, there was this and that. And we'll make 101 excuses. Now, I'm not saying if somebody is, you know, your boss and they're giving you something to do at work that you need to present the gospel to them instead of answering their question. But if the opportunity presents itself, right, if somebody is talking to you about anything and, and there is an opportunity for you to share the hope that's found in you, you need to take advantage of that. They need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, regardless of their end response, right, regardless if they love you, hate you, repent of their sins or just say, oh, that's cool. I'm glad that you found that, you know, regardless of the response, we're not responsible for the end result. We're the ones that plant seeds and water them. It's God who causes the growth. Right? That's what Paul uh, that's what Paul tells us. And as our passage says, all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Right. He's telling us here, hey, you're going in my name. My sheep will hear my voice. Those who hate me will not. And they'll hate you and they'll persecute you. But regardless of the response, you're coming in my name. They, they'll either know him or they won't. Now, in the midst of all of this, what the disciples are coming to, what are they to do? Right. And the, the, the turmoil that's in store for them, they don't even realize what they're about to experience. Jesus is about to die, right? I mean, he, and, and he's God, or the Jesus has been telling them this over and over and over again, but they, they've been not wanting to hear it, right? But soon he's about to die, and they're going to be they're going to be lost. But he's given them these things that we find out later in, in John that the Holy Spirit will bring back to mind for them, right? So he's planting all these seeds within the hearts of these people. But when they think about all these things that they're going through, the persecution they're going to go through, the, the deaths that they're going to have. And we kind of think about ourselves today, the things that we go through, the the potential persecution that's in store for Christians and the persecution that's going on for Christians around the world. What are we to do with this? Right. With this information we've been given, what are what are we supposed to do with it? What did the disciples do with this? Well, I think that answer is found back. Like I said, we're going to circle back around now that we've posed the problem. We're going to see the answer in verses 16 and 17. Let me reread those verses for us. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So there's a lot in here, and I'm going to kind of just try to focus down on a couple things. But Jesus is given commands here, right? He's laying down the truth. He's equipping his disciples for his departure. What is the big takeaway, right? What is the big takeaway for the disciples? What's the big takeaway for us today? Well, first and foremost, like everything that God says, it's God's grace. That's first and foremost, right? He chose them for this task, right? He's uh, commissioned them for this task, but he chose them, right? He's letting them know. 
I have chose you and I'm going to send you out. These, you're my people. So first and foremost, there's always that. We can never forget that. But what he's telling them here is that they abide in Christ as they bear much fruit through prayer and love. That's what's being mentioned here. Prayer and love. Right. He's telling them whatever you ask, you should bear much fruit. You should abide. Whatever you ask in the ask the father in my name, he'll give it to you. Right. And then he goes on and says so that you'll love one another. So prayer and love are the two things that are mentioned here. That's that's the big takeaway for us. Now, the question that I have for you is if you were to just kind of do a self-assessment, look back at just say this last week. Right. We'll just go back a week. How many of you would say, and you don't have to show any hands or anything, but how many of you would say, you know what, I've prayed enough this week, right? No, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Right. I've prayed enough, right? I, you know, I can check off that box and say, you know what, God, I, yeah, I've spent enough time with you in prayer. Or the other part of this, I've loved you and your people and the lost and the, the and my enemies. I've loved all of y'all well enough. Can anybody in here say that? Because if you all, if you can, teach me, right? Teach me how you do that, right? We can't answer that. We, we can't say, yeah, yeah, I, I pray enough, right? I mean, yeah, some of us may have great prayer lives. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we think about the potential that's there, we understand that we, we fall short in that time. Jesus has to command us to pray and to love other people. You see that? He has to command us to do that. That's not natural for us. Right? We love ourselves dearly. We we can tell by the way we eat, drink, drive, whatever we do, we love ourselves. We we love ourselves deeply, like no other. That, that's that's who we are. But Jesus has to command us to love other people. Right? He has to, he has to command that. That's all of this goes back to you need to love Right. And you need to pray. Like, how selfish are we? Right. Is that just me or is that a, I mean, how selfish are we that we have to be told to love? We have to be told to pray. We have to be told to do all these things to, to sacrifice of ourselves for the glory of God. <clears throat> so with that said, I know we're live streaming this, but I have a confession to make personally. Um, I know I'm kind of have a smile, but I smile when I'm nervous. OK, so bear with me. But. Since we're family here, um, I feel like I, I can confess this. And this is, it's serious, right? I want to be serious. Um, if, if when I look at my life, when I look at the way that I treat people and the way I think about people, uh, the people closest to me, the people that I don't know, strangers, my enemies, all of that stuff. When I, when I really think and look back on my life, like I really don't love people. Like I, I don't, I don't want to love people. Uh, I want people to love me. I want people to to treat me right. I want people to cherish me. I want people to think highly of me. I want people to want me like, you know, oh, where's Laramie? I, you know, I, I want that. That's that's what I want. I, I, I want that. Like I said, I, I don't love people. I, I don't want to. I don't want to serve them. I don't want to. I don't want to do any of that. But then I'm reminded of God's grace to me through prayer, through time in his word. And my desires change. My world 
changes. And now I want to love people. I want to serve people. I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. I want to do those things now. They're not in me. They're, they're, there's, when, and, and myself shows whenever I'm angry, when I'm hungry, when I'm tired. That's me. That's who I am in and of myself. Leave me alone. Feed me. You know, all that stuff. Just leave me alone. Make me comfortable. That's what I want. But when I see God's grace, it changes everything. I did not choose him, but he chose me. And as our passage says, he appointed me that I should go and bear fruit and that my fruit should abide so that whatever I ask the father in Christ's name, that it may be given to me. And that is done so that I will go and love others. Right. Not to fulfill my own purposes. I don't get to ask for whatever just because I want it. No, no. You take what I give you to be poured out to the world. Thank God for his glorious grace. Love and prayer. Love and prayer. So how should we pray? Right, when we think this is how we are able to love, how should we pray? Well, I believe Acts chapter 4 uh, gives us a great example of a prayer. This is when John and Peter are in prison for preaching the gospel. And they're, you know, they say... We can't, we must obey God and not listen to man, right? All that's done. And the church is spending time in prayer for them and for, for the church being persecuted in this time. Now, like I said, I think this is a great example. This is a narrative, right? This is, this, this is an event that's being written down for us. So it's not an instruction. It's, it's a narrative that's being told. But I do believe this is a great example of godly people with God's purposes um, at the forefront of their mind. So we don't have time to read the entire passage, but I want to read the heart of their prayer. And as we think about the persecution, the hatred, the love that we are to show, the things that we hold dear in our lives that are selfish, all of those things that we've talked about so far, so far think about the way the, 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 the people of this time are praying for God, praying to God in the midst of persecution. At the end of verse 28 and then in verse 29, it says this, they're praying to God, do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They didn't ask for a reprieve. They didn't ask for their enemies to be vanquished. They didn't ask for any of that. Like, just give us one day to regather our thoughts. They didn't ask for any of that. Christ was so important to them. He was so precious and so necessary that they set aside their livelihood and their own lives for the sake of Christ. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is... This, this is weighty for me. I, I, I love this. This is God's word, right? This isn't, this isn't me. This is God's word. 
But the thing that we have to remind ourselves about this, right, this is wonderful in God's word that we see men and women acting this way towards other men and women in scripture, right? We see this deep, beautiful love for God's people. But what we must remember is that these people did not conjure up this strength and fortitude in and of themselves. They prayed for it. They prayed for it. It wasn't in them to feel this way. We have not because we ask not. My favorite Puritan uh, is Thomas Watson. I recommend you read anything that he has. He put it this way when it comes to prayer. Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. So what is your prayer life like? What condition does it find itself in today and why is it like that? Are you abiding in Christ and bearing fruit or are you just too busy? Or do you just not have anything to pray about? As the great theologian, rapper, dancer and entertainer MC Hammer once said, we've got to pray. We got to pray just to make it today. I had to get that one in there. I'm sorry. (laughs) So this life is about abiding in Christ and growing in Christ likeness. We do this through prayer and love. If you struggle with either one of these, please, please, please come and see me. See Pastor Ricky. Find a godly man or woman that you trust. Talk to them. Let's talk about this stuff. We are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That, That is essential for us as a church. We can talk through it. We can get to the bottom of it. But we can always bear more fruit, all of us. There, as I mentioned earlier, none of us are good enough in and of ourselves. We can't do this on our own. We rely on the Holy Spirit of God to equip us and to strengthen us to do his will in our lives. Some of us are lost and need direction. Some of us are just lazy and need a rebuke um, to, to turn back and, and run the race that God has called us to run. Now, if neither one of these is where you find yourself, If this is the first time that you're actually recognizing your sinfulness, your need for a savior, uh, your need to honor Christ with your life. We can talk as well. Now is the time. Don't wait while it's still called today. Do not let your heart be hardened. Right. Like those in the day of the wilderness, as Hebrews tells us. Now is the time to confess your sins before God. Now is the time to repent of them and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins the removal of guilt, and then the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that will lead you in a life that pleases him. Now is the time. Don't don't waste another minute. Let us pray.